0: Tonight is study number 20 of Genesis chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 18 through the end of the chapter. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered, fifteen cubits upward Did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. I'll stop reading there, and that brings us to the end of Genesis chapter 7. In our last study, or study before that, we were looking at the waters prevailing, and the word prevail, which is a word that identifies with victory in battle. And we saw that the waters spiritually uh, represent the word of God and the word of God won the victory over the kingdom of Satan, over the world itself. And that's the reason why God is uh, again and again making reference to the waters prevailing exceedingly upon the earth. And 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 so forth to indicate that his word proved faithful and true. He fulfilled his promise. He he did what he said he would do, and he brought judgment upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And and so it, the waters or the word of God prevailed. It was victorious, and the waters began to prevail on the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. And it says in verse 24 of Genesis 7, the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. And and that's five months. Uh, From the beginning point of the flood, 17th day of the second month, until the 17th day of the seventh month, we know that's correct because we're told that in the next chapter in Genesis 8 that's the 150-day period, uh, an uh, exact five-month period, the waters prevailed. They they began to fall upon the earth, and they rose and rose until they were 15 cubits above the highest mountain. And I, I think we've mentioned this before. In Genesis 7, we find the word waters nine times, three times three To indicate the purpose of God. And uh, it's a strong emphasis upon God's purpose for the day of judgment. Is that the waters will win out. They will be triumphant. They will overcome the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of this world. And so we find the word waters nine times in association with their rising. With with their going up unto the point where they cover the highest mountains. And then, in Genesis chapter 8, we also find the word waters nine times, three times three, to indicate, again, a strong emphasis upon the purpose of God. And yet, in Genesis chapter 8, In all nine instances, the waters are abating. The waters are decreasing. They're going down, continually going down. That's not a coincidence that God uses the word waters nine times in going up in chapter 7, and nine times in going down in chapter 8 to indicate his purpose in both matters. In the matter of the rising, the, the great victory that the Word of God has won, beginning at the point of the Day of Judgment and then continuing for five months. Historically, the 150 days in the time of Noah, that's when the waters rose up. Well, we read in verse 19 of Genesis 7, "...and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth." And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. The word high hills, the Hebrew word translated as high hills, is the same Hebrew word translated as mountains. And this same word can be translated either way. And so Verse 19 is telling us all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Verse 20 reiterates it. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. It's telling us the same thing. It's doubling up on that truth that the mountains of the world were covered by the waters of the flood. Why is that important? Why is that so significant that the mountains were covered? You know, God could have um, brought the water up to the distance, probably three quarters of of the highest mountain, and drowned everybody and all all the animals with the breath of life. It wasn't necessary to go up uh, to the height of the highest mountain. And not only that, but then 15 cubits above that height, As it says, the 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, 15 cubits above. And again, in the number 15, we see 3, God's purpose, times 5, which is the number for atonement. And just as the Lord Jesus Christ made atonement, he offered up himself for the sins of his people, At the point of the world's foundation, atoning, paying for their sins. That's what atonement is. It is payment for sins. That's what sacrifices point to, atoning for sin. Sin is an offense against God, a transgression of his law. The law demands a satisfaction. The, The law demands atonement. And and so all the wicked people of the world have offended God. They've broken his law. Now comes the time of judgment. And God pours out his wrath. In this case, the wrath of God was poured out with water. But in the case of the final judgment, it's a spiritual judgment. And then finally, it's a judgment of fire. But it's all still a pouring out of the wrath of God down upon the offender, the transgressor of the law. The sinner transgresses the law. The law says that the wages of sin is death. And in order to satisfy the law's demand for death, God flooded the whole earth. And therefore, with that action, the unsafe people of the world were their own sacrifice. They were offering up atonement for their own sin. And so, um, bringing the water 15 cubits above the highest mountain, that number, 15 points to it. Three times five. So, too, does 150 days. As 150 is basically the number 15 times 10. 15 times 10, you have 150. So we have 3 times 5 times 10 in the number of days that the waters were prevailing. Again, God's purpose, the atonement for the wicked of the earth, 3 times 5, and then the number 10 pointing to completeness. The death of the wicked would be their complete payment in the atonement to accomplish the purpose of God. So we, we can see with both 15 cubits on 150 days that God's purpose is in view as well as the atonement, especially with what is happening on the earth in the days of the flood. Uh, and yet again, The waters rose 15 cubits above the highest mountain. God wants that to be known. All the high hills were covered without exception. And the highest mountain was covered. There were no mountains that peaked and rose out of the water. No matter where you sailed, the only sailing vessel was the ark, no matter where the ark traveled, it would see no land, not even, um, again, a mountain peak. No, God made sure that every mountain in all the world was covered by water. And the reason he did this is because of what mountains represent. And we've seen this Recently, in the study in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, with King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we are told in Daniel 2, I'll start in verse 34, "...thou sawest, till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And the explanation of the dream, in the interpretation of the dream... The stone that became a great mountain is said to be, in verse 44 of the same chapter of Daniel 2, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever for as much as thou sawest, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And, and the stone, which became a great mountain, is identified as a kingdom. The kingdom of God that destroys the kingdoms of Satan. Uh, we We can find other language in the Bible that relates mountains to kingdoms, In Revelation 17, beginning in verse 9, And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And, And it goes on to say in verse 12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. Seven mountains, seven kings. Kings reign over kingdoms. Each mountain identifies with a king who reigns over a kingdom. Um, We read in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, when the Lord Jesus was being tempted of the devil, it says in verse 5, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Why take him up into a high mountain? Well, because mountains identify with kingdoms. So the relationship, even where the devil took Christ, had something to do with kingdoms. In Revelation 21, it says in verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, just as the devil took Jesus to a high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. In this case, being carried away to a great and high mountain, the view is the kingdom of God, holy Jerusalem, representing God's kingdom. And again, the vantage point was from a great and high mountain it says in Isaiah chapter 54 beginning in verse 7 and this is describing judgment day our present time for a small moment have I forsaken thee but with great mercies why gather thee in a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith Jehovah thy redeemer. Now notice how God ties it in with the waters of the flood in verse nine. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart and the hills Be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from me, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith Jehovah, that has mercy on thee. First God speaks of the waters of Noah, then he mentions the mountains and the hills being removed. Now, the word removed is 4131 in the Hebrew of Strong's Concordance. And it's the same word that's found in Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength of every present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now that's really the picture of the flood, because the waters... That God poured out upon the earth, covered the whole earth, and, and basically the mountains were cast into the sea. And, and so here is another image, just like Isaiah 54 verse nine spoke of the waters of Noah. Verse 10 told us the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. The word carried in Psalm 46. Verse 2 is the same word, removed. The mountains be removed into the midst of the sea. It goes on to say in verse 3, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. Now, notice it mentions mountains carried into the midst of the sea, but then it speaks of God in the midst of the city of God, which would be Jerusalem or the kingdom, the mountain of God, the Mount Zion that the Bible refers to. And because God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. And again, that same word is carried or removed. She will not be cast into the sea to come under the wrath of God or or to be destroyed by the wrath of God because God is in the midst of her and will help her and that right early. You know, this all ties in to Hebrews. The idea of mountains being cast into the sea or kingdoms being cast into the sea ties in with Hebrews 12. That, that says in verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more signifieth the removing, notice that word that we saw in Psalm 46 and Isaiah 54, the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. We will not be moved, in other words. The, the people of God, the elect of God, will not be moved in in the same way all the wicked of the earth are moved because their kingdom is cast into the sea uh, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken and so it remains that of course ties in with Christ's coming they which are alive and remain are left on the earth to be caught up and it goes on to say here in Hebrews 12:28 Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We have a kingdom, a mountain, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that cannot be moved. It's the same idea with that house, and it's so important. It, it's key uh, where it's built. It's either built upon the rock or it's built upon the sand because the storm comes upon both and and beats upon the house. And if you read the account in Matthew 7, it's an identical storm that assaults the house built upon the rock and the house built upon the sand because both are subjected to Judgment Day. In the place of judgment you'll find the righteous and the wicked all are on the earth in the day of judgment. The wrath of God is poured out equally upon both. God shut the door on the righteous and the wicked insofar as the shutting the door of heaven is concerned. Only the righteous are already righteous. So it it does not injure them the way it hurts uh, and harms the unrighteous and and so it's not uh, a cause of torment to the elect those already saved as it is to the unsaved people of the world and and God begins to pour out his wrath in a spiritual judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth and the true believers are there But they endure, their house continues, their house, the the entire body of believers, the kingdom of God, does not fall when the storm comes. It does not end up in the midst of the sea because God is with them. They have built upon a rock which is able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. They therefore stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and unlike the wicked, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment we read in Psalm 1. They will fall. The house built upon the sand collapses. The kingdom of Satan is cast into the midst of the sea. And they're all similar pictures, similar statements. Remember what Christ told the disciples in Matthew chapter 21 beginning in verse 19 and when he saw a fig tree in the way he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever and presently the fig tree withered away and when the disciples saw it they marveled saying how soon is the fig tree withered away Jesus answered and said unto them Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And when we examine this parable, we find Christ cursed the fig tree, which was national Israel. And, And that was the judgment of God upon them. When the veil of the temple was rent in twain, they had no forgiveness into eternity. That is, with the corporate body of Israel, the Spirit of God left them, and never again would there be salvation within the synagogue system, the religious system of national Israel. Jews individually could find salvation according to God's election program and God would draw them out. And, but Christ says he cursed the fig tree and what he did, the disciples or his followers would do also. And the fig tree, national Israel, represents the corporate church. So when the time came at at the beginning of uh, the end of the church age and the great tribulation, God opened up the scriptures, and the true believers declared the things that um, were uncovered concerning the end of the church age, and now the fig tree represented the churches and congregations of the world, and became and the church, the corporate church, became cursed in a similar way of national Israel, and yet it was the disciples, the elect who were proclaiming these things and believing these things, therefore, by faith, they cursed the fig tree. But more than that, Jesus said, you'll not only curse the fig tree, but you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And what mountain is that? Well, God identifies Babylon As a mountain, because Babylon is a picture of the kingdom of Satan. It is a picture of the entire kingdom of Satan, of the world, and of the church, overcome by Satan at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. And God says in Jeremiah 51, verse 25, Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. And he's referring to Babylon. Then a little further on... In Jeremiah 51, it says in verse 42, the sea is come upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of the waves thereof. And that reminds us of what Jeremiah did when he, he cast the book, the scroll into the sea towards the end of Chapter uh, 51 and verse 63, And it shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, thou shalt bind a stone to it, and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. That is, the stone, the mountain, the kingdom of Babylon, The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this world, will be cast into the sea. The mountains will be removed, and they will go into the sea. The destroying mountain of Babylon that represents all the kingdoms of the earth that Satan ruled over, including that final province, the New Testament corporate church, will come under the judgment of God and be cast into the sea, and God's people will do it by faith. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Pal Talk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone.